Taiwan has picked up six medals at the Tokyo Olympics. That's the most the country has ever won at the Games. One of the biggest stars, Guo Xingchun, picked up a gold in weightlifting. Leslie Liao tells us all about Taiwan Desu, the new hashtag for Taiwan at the Olympics. And we say goodbye to one of our hosts today. And in today's Brain Game, Stash Butler is going to find out how much we know about Taiwan's performance in past Olympics. This is Taiwan Insider. People in Taiwan have been very happy about how Taiwan is doing in the Olympics. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But there's been another sentiment going on around town, and that's anxiety. Not over the games, but actually because restrictions have been lifted. So beaches, cinemas, kindergartens are open, and that has some people worried. The government's decision to lower the country's COVID-19 alert level on July 27th has some experts concerned. Will Taiwan be able to keep the pandemic under control once restrictions are lifted? Dr. Huang Liming, an infectious disease specialist at National Taiwan University Hospital, says that Taiwan's current vaccination rate is far below the 80 percent needed to achieve herd immunity. Huang says that 75 to 80 percent of the population must receive two vaccine doses before Taiwan can be sure that 65 percent of the population is protected against COVID. Other experts say that even if Taiwan had a stable supply of vaccine doses, it would still take another two to three months to achieve herd immunity. They say that lowering the COVID alert level is not the same as lifting a lockdown and that people should remain vigilant. Dr. Huang also says that COVID testing should still be carried out. He says that the sooner COVID patients are identified, the sooner the R number or reproduction number can be reduced, meaning that the outbreak is slowing down. Keeping the pandemic at bay will also require enforcement of border controls so that other variants do not enter the country, and it will also take everyone continuing to abide by pandemic prevention rules. Now, it's not just the experts that are worried. A recent poll by the Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation saw that nearly 60 percent of people in Taiwan worry that we might have lifted restrictions too soon. Now, worry is not a good thing, but if it helps us keep vigilant and all get vaccinated, I think Taiwan will be in good shape. Next up, Andrew tells us all about Taiwan's Olympic stars. We turn now to the Olympics, and what better way to start than with Guo Xingchun, who picked up the first gold medal for Taiwan at this year's Games in Tokyo. Guo Xingchun is a Taiwanese four-time world champion, two-time Universiade champion, one-time Asian Games champion, and four-time Asian champion. Now she can add Olympic gold medalist to her list of achievements. On Tuesday, Guo beat out all other women competitors in her 59-kilogram weight class to claim Taiwan's first gold medal at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Guo Xingchun was born in Taiwan's Yilan County on November 26, 1993. The 27-year-old is of indigenous Amis descent. She made her Olympic debut in 2012 in London where she placed sixth overall in the women's 58-kilogram weight category. Then, at the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, she took home a bronze medal despite an injury. 
After a less than optimal performance in Rio, Guo has not lost a single major competition, taking home gold medals at the World Weightlifting Championships, the Asian Games, the Universiade, and the Asian Championships. Guo was favored to win gold at Tokyo, and she delivered with a vengeance. Guo lifted a combined 236 kilograms, an Olympic record but just short of the world record of 247 kilograms, which she herself holds. However, Guo's Olympic performance put her more than 19 kilograms ahead of runner-up Polina Gureva of Turkmenistan. For Guo, Tuesday wasn't about setting records, it was about winning gold. Still, not smashing her own record was a sign for Guo that she'd have to return and defend her title the next time the Olympics roll around. Leslie Liao, RTI News. What an amazing athlete. Now, in just four days, Taiwan picked up six medals at this year's Games. That's breaking its own record for the most medals it's ever won in a single year at the Olympics. The first medal went to Yang Yongwei, an indigenous Taiwan athlete. He's the first Taiwanese athlete to win an Olympic medal in judo. Both his mother and his brother also excel in this sport. Now, I think he got a bunch of new fans at the medal ceremony. He looked down at the medal that he'd just won, and then he took a big sniff of it as though he you know, just couldn't imagine that he'd won this medal. It was very cute. Now, the next medal came in Taekwondo. Luo Jialing picked up a bronze in the sport, which she began learning in kindergarten. The 19-year-old athlete also comes from a martial arts family, and she practices with both her father and her brother. Taiwan's next medal at the Olympics this year came in men's archery. One of the competitors said he was so nervous he was shaking when he entered the venue for the gold medal round. They performed well, but it wasn't enough to match the 13 perfect 10s out of 18 by their South Korean competitors. This is the second time Taiwan has won a silver in this event. The last time was in 2004 in Athens. Up next, a table tennis duo. Lin Junru and Zheng Yijing. Lin is 19 years old, and so far he and Taekwondo star Luo Jialing are the youngest two medalists from Taiwan this year. As of recording time, he still has a shot at a second medal this year. This was the first Olympics table tennis medal for Taiwan in 21 years. And finally, the medal that pushed Taiwan over the top, giving it the most medals it's ever won in an Olympics. Tsai Wenhui on Tuesday clinched the bronze medal in the women's 64-kilogram weight class. Again, this was the sixth medal for Taiwan, the most it's ever won in Olympics. It was the second women's weightlifting medal for Taiwan in a single day. So, of course, congratulations to all of Taiwan's Olympians, and thank you for inspiring a whole generation of athletes. Go Team Taiwan! Next up, we go back in time as Stash Butler quizzes me and Andrew about Taiwan's legendary Olympic athletes. We are playing a game called the Trailblazers. So you know Taiwan just beat its all-time record for uh, its record medal tally, but that all began somewhere, right? Taiwan didn't originally didn't you know start winning medals straight away. It was the first time before Taiwan even won its first medal at an Olympics. So what I want to do is go and look back and look at the first people, the people who won Taiwan's first medals so this is going to be a kind of a riddle game uh each slide has a picture of the athlete uh if you know the athlete's name then great if not it's okay it will also have their sport uh 
the foundation story for the city in which that Olympics took place, <laughs> and also a clue uh, uh, from history to give you uh, a hint at what year it was, at what year that Olympics was. I think you'll be okay with the sport, but the other two you may need to talk through. Sounds like fun. Sounds great. Okay, uh, let's do the first. Let's go to the first picture then. That looks like a like the the founding story for Rome. It's a little wolf, right, with all the little children, the little hills of Rome. Is it? That's exactly right. It's Romulus and Remus, the two the two brothers that founded Rome. Exactly. What's What's Kennedy doing in there? I forgot. Well, so Kennedy. It must be the hint. year. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's the year. In the sixties. It is the sixties. Do you know which? So which year? yes, because uh, I think he was assassinated in maybe sixty three. So maybe sixty. Is it 1960? Exactly, it's 1960. And 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 what about the sport? What do you think? Hurdles. Uh, I think it must be triathlon because I see three things there. Yeah, there are three things there. Actually, that's a, that's not the full range of things. There are more than three things. It involves hurdles, but involves other things as well. So not triathlon, but pen, pen. Pen. It's decathlon. Yeah. So that is uh, Yang Chuanguang. And he is the first Taiwan's first ever medalist at the Olympics. Yes, I actually know this guy. He's a uh, he's Amis. That's he's right. from the Amis tribe, and That's... he is from the same village that uh, Guo Xingchun is from. She, he's from Malan in Taidong. Wow, that's wonderful. I that's... thought he was indigenous. I remember amazing. his story. He's amazing. Yeah, he's that's a fun. he's a he's a really interesting guy. Uh, I mean, it, it seems that yeah, like I think Taiwan has a lot of amazing athletes that come from um, their indigenous people. And you're right, he is a member of the Amis. He attended college at UCLA. I mean, obviously America, a hotbed of kind wow. of talent. Yeah, uh, he actually took the decathlon world record uh, in 1961 and uh, was the first person to breach the, uh, to breach the. Uh, 9,000 point barrier. Now, I don't know anything really about decathlon, but it's it's still the first, <laughs> it's the cross the line. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and yeah, and like I said, Taiwan's first ever uh, medalist with a silver medal in the 1960 Olympics in Rome. Wow. Let's see the uh, the next the next slide. I know her, Chi Tsun. Exactly. Yes, I, I was gonna say. So that's Martin Luther King, yes. the 70s? Not the 70s. Oh no, I think she must have been must have been 68 sorry 68 that is correct 68. so that would so is that is that um is that mexico it is and what, mexico what is city the, what is the what does the picture show what's, what's the the mexico city do you know what that 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 exactly shows it looks like a phoenix it's actually a uh it's an eagle perching on a cactus uh so i mean mexico city famously is actually built in, the, in a lake uh, and very early on it was you know surrounded by water now it's obviously just in the basin um, but the origin story is of the of the city is that one of the Aztecs god saw an eagle perching on a cactus tree or a cactus plant rather and decided that's where Mexico City would be uh, made. And, wow. and, and what does what does uh, what did Ji Dung do? She also run the hurdles. hurdles? Yeah, so this, this is the hurdles. Yeah, so she she yeah. ran the uh, women's eighty meter hurdles, and she was uh, Taiwan's first well first ever female medalist, also first ever. Uh, bronze medalist and uh, she won Associated Press Athlete of the Year in 1970. Wow. Uh, let's go on to the the third slide. I know this. <laughs> I, we're now we're now moving well into living memory so so I, I expect you that these might be a bit easier for you but what, what do you see? What are you seeing here? That's I mean that's Tenshin Shin. 
I actually remember her winning the gold medal. Is this in 2008? 2004 in Athens. Exactly. And I actually remember it was a very emotional moment because I actually broadcast the news that night. And I, I remember... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's definitely an amazing moment for Taiwan I mean, to have that first gold medal. 50 years or, you know, 40 years after winning their first medal to wait that long for a gold. Um, she was also, like so many of Taiwan's athletes, uh, has some indigenous heritage. Her mother uh, was Atayal. What's interesting is Taiwan actually won a second gold. Its second gold was the same year. It was Du Mu Yen. Um, and they both won for Taekwondo, right? Broadcasters in Taiwan that year, like literally anybody that read that in the news, like on, on air, just lost it. And it was just so powerful to watch it happening in action and like to feel, you know, a nation rejoicing at having won its first gold medal. I mean, it's a really, it's a big deal. So what is that in the bottom right hand corner? What is that picture? Oh, so this is a clue as to the year, actually. So can you tell me what we're seeing there as a hint? to the yes rather sad hint as to something is it that a typhoon happened. it is a natural disaster not a typhoon but, but the tsunami exactly so this is the the boxing day or, or 2004 tsunami that uh devastated a lot of southeast asia and and what about the final picture in the kind of center middle uh bottom of the screen what's the, what's that well that must be Athena, right? It is. <laughs> I mean, in terms of or as origin stories go, uh, the the Athens Athena connection is a is a bit of a clearer one. Uh, she won a contest between uh, well her and Neptune as to who to be the patron of the city. So thank you so much for playing. Uh, that was the Trailblazers. I I hope you learned something new, or I mean, in some cases, relived <laughs> some old memories. <laughs> Okay, as you can see, we are together in the studio. First time in That's a couple months. That's right. Yeah. That's good, huh? Yeah. Except for these. Yeah, right. Protective measures. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, but we thought we would finish up uh, in today's show. It is kind of a special show. We, we thought we'd finish in the studio. But before we get to our ending today, we want to show you some of the other stories that have been on our radar this week. Taiwan is investigating a cyber attack targeting users of the popular messaging app Line. The Liberty Times says the attack targeted around 100 politicians, officials, and military officers. The paper also says that all signs point to professional hackers and that the attack may have involved Pegasus spyware. Line itself has acknowledged the attack but has not confirmed any details. President Tsai Ing-wen is getting a COVID vaccine, and her choice? The first Taiwan-developed vaccine to get emergency approval. The vaccine was developed by Medigen Vaccine Biologics Corporation, and Taiwan's FDA recently gave it emergency use authorization. It's now joined the AstraZeneca and Moderna vaccines as a third option in Taiwan. Medigen has not yet conducted phase 3 trials to test the efficacy, but President Tsai defended the vaccine on Facebook, saying that Taiwan will only grant approval to vaccines that are safe, effective, and meet scientific standards. The Czech Republic is donating 30,000 COVID-19 vaccine doses to Taiwan as part of a program to help countries around the world. The Czech Republic is now the third European country to donate to Taiwan, following Lithuania and Slovakia. And Taiwan's number two nuclear power plant went offline under some bizarre circumstances this week. A chair moved out of the way for cleaning bumped into a button, triggering an emergency shutdown. The accident happened Tuesday just as Taiwan came out of a semi-lockdown, and demand for power jumped. Fortunately, solar and hydropower were able to make up the difference, and the average person did not even notice anything had gone wrong. 
Taiwan's Atomic Energy Authority say they want a report and a list of responsible people to discipline. And you thought you had a bad day at work. So actually today we're going to have to say goodbye to Andrew, who is stepping aside for, from his hosting duties here to uh, another position in the media. That's right. But, um, you know, Andrew, we do have a final word. And this week's word is describe Andrew oh. in a word. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see what uh, Stash and Leslie had to say. So the word I would use to describe Andrew is excellence. It's something he embodies. It's something he's committed to, and it's something that he's taught me to strive for. So it was an easy decision, Andrew. Excellence. Uh, if I had to choose one word to describe Andrew, it would be kind. I mean, honestly, I could have chosen so many adjectives. Uh, this is really hard. I felt kind covered most of it. I mean, from the second I joined RTI, Andrew has been so lovely. He's taught me so much, and every step of the way, he's been so patient. So many points he could have been patronizing because he has so much more experience than me, but he's taught me so much and just been so calm and patient and lovely every step of the way, and I'm really going to miss him. Andrew, how That's do you feel about that? Very I, sweet. I'm tearing up. I know. Not even about me. <laughs> I have uh, tissues just in case. <laughs> um, I have a word as well. Well, two words, actually. Oh. oh. So, actually, I have been working with Andrew for a long time. We've done a lot of stuff together, hosted a lot of shows, even radio plays that you wrote. That's and right. And features, and we put this show together. Um, and National Day. National Day. Yes. And the inauguration of, you know, Tsun Shui-bian, and, you know, a lot of exciting things. No, elections. Elections. We oh went gosh. to the Golden Bell Awards together. That's right. We won, won a few Golden Bell together. And thank you, because I don't think you. I could have done it without you. <laughs> done it without you. <laughs> so, I mean, no, whatever Andrew does, whether it's writing, uh, producing, uh, hosting, he's a real pro. Oh, that's very kind of you. So, I know you're going to do great, whatever you do. And actually, you're going to be doing some stuff here, too. Yes, that's right. I don't want people to think that I'm gone. I'm like, uh, you know, checking out. See ya. <laughs> you know. I've been working here for 22 years. I never thought I would work at a single job for 22 years. I never thought that I would leave a job that I've been at for 22 mm. years. So it's not an easy decision, um, but I'm not gone for good. I will definitely be here, not on Taiwan Insider, but I will be hosting Feast Meets West, a show that we're actually celebrating. Me and Ellen Chu will be celebrating our 20th year together on air next week. That's amazing. You guys do a great job <laughs> introducing the food and culture of Taiwan. Mm. And right? I've prepared some special things over this next month. Over the month of August, I'll be showing you. I actually made her 20 treats for 20 wow. years, one for each year. so lucky. So I'm, I, at <laughs> the end of the day, amazing. I'm the lucky one to have worked with so many wonderful people at RTI, to work with Natalie, Leslie, you know, John, Paula, Shirley, uh, Stash. Um, it's it's not easy to leave, but I, I promise you, my heart will always be here at RTI. Uh, As we say in Chinese, it's, you know, my niangjia. Oh. This is my eternal forever home. Uh. <laughs> so I, I will always be back we're whenever gonna, you need me. We're going to miss you a lot. Would miss you like you a souvenir, too. Andrew? Um, from sure. the set. <laughs> I look behind you. How about the water bottle? Oh, thank pineapple you. Life. I love it. Live a pineapple life. Live a pineapple life. Wear a crown. Be sweet on the inside. Stand tall. <laughs> That's great words to live by. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We'll miss yeah. you a lot, Andrew. Thank you. 
And uh, thank you for listening to, uh, watching actually, <laughs> Taiwan Insider this week. I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. See you next week. And I'm Andrew Ryan. And this week I'm not going to say see you next week, but I'm also not going to say farewell. We'll say see you soon. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. Now, recently, one of Taiwan's most famous billionaires, Foxconn founder Terry Guo, went out and bought five million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for Taiwan. That was right when we were facing a vaccine shortage. Now, Terry Guo is one of Taiwan's most famous billionaires. His company, Foxconn, is the largest electronics manufacturer in the world. It makes many Apple products like the iPad and iPhone. It also puts together Dell computers, Sony Playstations and Xboxes and Amazon Kindles and the like. So he has a company of over 1 million people. What else is interesting about Terry is that he had presidential ambitions. In the last presidential primary for the opposition Kuomintang, he ran and he came in second place. So when he came out to say to all of Taiwan and to President Tsai that he wanted to buy 5 million Pfizer vaccines for Taiwan, when Taiwan was facing a shortage, he faced some major challenges. The government wasn't sure if they wanted to let him do that. And it took them nearly a month to decide to let him proceed. And just a couple weeks ago, his deal came through along with five more million with TSMC, the largest chip maker in the world. And one week later, Taiwan's biggest charity, the Tsuchi Foundation, followed suit with another five million. So that's a total of 15 million Pfizer vaccines bought by private entities in Taiwan. They initiated to buy them because the government had originally tried to buy them from the German manufacturer, BioNTech. But the deal fell through and Taiwan's government blames Beijing. Now Terry Guo went through the Shanghai distributor Foson Pharma to get the deal and all of the vaccines will be coming in straight from Germany. This has made major waves in Taiwan politics and today I speak with political scientist Arthur Ding of National Zenzi University. He tells me what he thinks the political impact of this deal is for Taiwan. Taiwan is further divided, I would say, politically and socially. Really? Yeah, so because there's no mutual confidence or mutual trust at all. Mm. Yeah, it's not easy to build a so-called trust, you know. Uh, but uh, I would say it's, uh, it's uh, uh, somewhat get worse. Well, do you think that this will bring more support for Guo Taiming? I mean, if he if he wants to become a politician again? Yeah, this is the problem, you know, because two years ago, if he did not run president, uh, there were, it would not be a problem. Mm. Just because he used to be a candidate, right. and then when he stepped up, tried to you know, make appeal to to Chinese administration say uh, he want to impose and uh, procure so-called BNT uh, vaccine uh, for the government. 
then definitely, you know, the, the Green Camp will have a suspicion of his motivation. And uh, a lot of rumors at that time says that if Guo Taimi is successful, uh, do it, then he will take over all the KMT. Oh, really? Camp. Yeah, it's a yeah, rumor, yeah. Yeah, but it's kind, you know, people can make all kinds of speculation, right? Sure. That's why uh, Green Camps has kind of a suspicion of his so-called uh, motivation. Maybe they are wrong, but right. anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's easy to think about that. I think not only the Green Camp, I think a lot of people thought about that, right? Maybe he'll run for president again. Because yeah, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, if we didn't run a president uh, campaign uh, two years ago, then you know uh, the Green Camp might have confidence of him. Ah, the like, Green Camp have confidence of the TSMC. I see. Yeah. Well, what is Guo's relationship with the KMT? He left the KMT, right? It's a bit complex, you know. Uh, you you know quite well if you you know stay in Taiwan for long enough. You know, mm-hmm. two years ago he wanted to. Be, he 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 want to be a candidate and he become a candidate, but certain faction of the KMT don't like him, so he feel frustrated again. So I I would say the relation is quite the the complex. I would say speculation say he want to come back again. Well, <laughs> he, yeah, he, that's he still have the ambition and the come back again. Hmm. But so uh, so when he's made a proposal on to you know to to procure so called five million. Uh, doses of the BNT, then the speculation uh, surge again. Right. <laughs> so why he want to do that, you know, uh, so high profile, so and so forth, yeah. <laughs> well, well, do you think that that's a possibility? Do you think the KMT will want him to come back and, and be their candidate? I don't know. It will, I, will, I, I really don't know if KMT want to come, want come back or not. Probably not because so many people want to run presidency you now, mm-hmm. or run, want to run the chairmanship. So uh, I don't think uh, all the all the those top elites, KMT top elites, welcome him back. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I don't think so. Frankly speaking, or do you think it's yeah. too early to tell? Yeah, or at least yeah, it's too early to tell. Yeah, it's too early to tell. Well, why do you think um, the TMC was brought into the deal? It seemed like a last-minute addition. A long long time ago, there's a report that TMC want to procure some kind of a, a doses, you know, vaccine doses for mm-hmm. his employees. Mm-hmm. Originally, their plan was not to procure so much, so many doses, you know, mm-hmm. probably only mm-hmm. fifty thousand, probably anyway. But uh, I, I guess this is a kind of a lobby or pressure from maybe from Thai administration because uh, if folks found, I, I think. Terry Gore really gave Thai administration tremendous pressure. Right. <laughs> and the Thai administration cannot resist. Hmm. So I think that's why, you know, kind of a balanced power uh, theory, uh, conspiracy. Hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm also curious about the overall political impact for the people of Taiwan. I mean, do you think more people would think that Taiwan needs a leader like Terry Gore, who is more pragmatic? Will, uh, able to negotiate with China rather than having, you know, the DPP, which is just so distant from China and, you know, relations with China have gotten so much worse during her time. Do you think that people may be swayed to, you know, support someone like Guo or, or the KMT? Probably not. You know, two really? years ago, uh, uh, you know, uh, two years ago when Terry Guo uh, 
around the presidency. Again, there's a rumor or conspiracy that, uh, you know, because Terrigo has so many investments in China. Two years ago, at least the people I know working in the, the financial sector, they don't think Terrigo can negotiate with Beijing because you know, Xi Jinping is such a, a strong man. Now look at what he has done in the past several months, you know, uh, Jack Ma and uh, the DD travel. You know. You're right. <laughs> so two years ago when Terry Gould ran the presidential campaign, many people don't think if he was elected, he really cannot receive the pressure from Beijing mm. because he has so many investments. Although his, invest, his investment is, is pretty big in, in China, mm-hmm. uh, hire tremendous people, you know, create a lot of employment opportunity. But mm. Xi Jinping is such a, a different person, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't think all the people have confidence of Terry Gore's ability to negotiate with Beijing or to, you know, to deal with Beijing. That is political scientist Arthur Ding from National Zhengzhou University. Next, I will be talking to him about why support for President Tsai Ing-wen and the ruling DPP party has dropped lately. <laughs> The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. So, President Tsai Ing-wen's political rival succeeded in buying 5 million BioNTech-Pfizer vaccines for Taiwan, and they're going to be delivered straight from Germany. That really hit the spot. Now, recently, a poll by the Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation found that support for the ruling Democratic Progressive Party has dropped by 15% in the last three months. President Tsai Ing-wen's approval rate is also about 43 to 45 percent, depending on which opinion poll you're looking at. And that's a big drop from over 70 percent a year ago when she was inaugurated. Professor Ding tells us more about why people aren't happy with President Tsai Ing-wen. Actually, from what she has done in the in the past two months, uh, it really didn't show no, he has done a good job. So that's why uh, his pop- popularity uh, plummeted. I mean, you're talking about for uh, preparing for an outbreak, right? She was yeah, prepare for was... outbreak, and if uh, and uh, after the outbreak, then you know, uh, impose a sufficient vaccine, so on and so forth. So, do you think that this will mean that the Kuomintang has an upper hand in the next elections? Because... No, I don't think so. Really? You, know, you look at the uh, no. Yesterday, this. Uh, Poll released. Kuomintang did not uh, benefit from, <laughs> from yeah, <laughs> really? did not benefit at all completely. You mean from the steel or from the uh, vaccine shortage? But, yeah, from the uh, the development in the past two months. You know, oh. uh, <laughs> instead, uh, the Taipei City Mayor Taiwan People's Party, yeah, he gained uh, somewhat support. Why do you think that's the case? People have. No, different expectation. In fact, his party probably can make some kind of contribution 
but I would say it's, it's too early to tell uh, mm-hmm. because for the local election, it will be end of next year. Right. So it's a little bit uh, early to, to tell. But anyway, Kuomintang did not benefit at all from the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the DPP's uh, wrong policy. Personally, I don't think KMT has done a good job at all. And you know quite that the KMT's China policy quite uh, alienated to the most of people on, mm. on Taiwan. Right. And uh, for others, they criticize everything, but we don't see uh, they have done anything. What about Terry Gore? Do you think he should run as independent? <laughs> Do you think that would be a possibility for him? I don't know. Probably he's watching. I think he learned a lot from last time's presidential campaign. You know, mm. he he know quite well now the party is such a complex <laughs> game. <laughs> right, that is no, different than business. Yeah, it's a much much complex uh, than uh, business. You know, mm. I don't know. He probably is watching and waiting to see. I think. Oh, so do you think that the Taipei mayor has the chance of becoming president? <laughs> no. I don't think so. Really? Uh, Why is that? Firstly, that the how far uh, he can get support from the blue camp. This is one issue. Although uh, some schools say that the camp issue work with uh, Mayor Kerr, mm. but other KMT school people say that uh, we should have our own policy and our own candidate. And if we work with uh, Mayor Kerr, then the KMT will decline further. You know, so the. The immediate question is that how far KMT can work with Mayor Kerr. Mm. This is a, a quite critical question. If he cannot work with KMT, then I don't think he can get sufficient vote. Oh, uh, and also, I think the, the DPP like to see the fight between the KMT and the Mayor Kerr's camps. That's why, from what I can see now, I don't think Mayor Kerr has opportunity he might run a presidential campaign, but I don't think he, he's going to win from at this moment, yeah. Mm, it's very hard as an independent, right? Yeah. You can put it that way. That is political scientist Arthur Ding of National Zunzi University analyzing the political impact of Foxconn founder, billionaire Terry Gore's purchase of 5 million Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines for Taiwan. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei, the people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. For all your science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Sash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. Today, I continue my conversation with Jiao Guo, the founder of Taiwan Digital Diplomacy Association. She tells me why face-to-face human interaction is still essential for diplomacy and why anyone can be an ambassador for their country. 
All that coming up on the download. A lot of institutions they came to us and asked about uh, what is our digital strategy uh, under this situation. So I think the pandemic is kind of um, positive to our organization. And uh, during the pandemic, I also think the international world gave more attention to Taiwan. And uh, we for Taiwan, we are at the same line with other countries now because before, like some sometimes I feel Taiwanese is kind of exclu- exclusive by the international world, but because everyone is locked down in their own country, so we are on the same um, the same line. And I also think uh, the international world has changed their attitude towards China a lot during this year. So uh, maybe it's an opportunity for Taiwan, and I hope Taiwan can catch the ball like to think more about how to develop the digital strategy of the diplomatic works and also how to use the, um, the opportunity of international world change their attitude toward China. Like this is an opportunity for us. How to use this opportunity to create more allies of Taiwan. You know, with your work, you're kind of working alongside, you know, the, the foreign ministry, you know, these these kind of official diplomatic kind of organizations. How does that how does that look? How does that how does that work? I mean, do you work with them directly? What what are the kind of what's the kind of what's your relationship with the kind of these these official organizations? Okay, I think uh, we are more like partner <laughs> and and actually at first Taiwanese government they feel suspicious about my association because they don't know what we are doing and they don't know who we are. They don't believe citizens can do diplomatic works. But after a while they understand we are trying to help their works. Like, like what we are doing is helping their works and also create some new possibility of diplomatic work. So after uh, maybe I think a year, so uh, the Taiwanese government become very friendly toward us. And sometimes I was invited to government sector to, to share our experience about how to increase Taiwan's international exposures and also share our experience about how to observe uh, foreign citizens on social media and to develop our strategy. Um, I think the relationship between the government and us is more like, I, I hope we will more like a formal partner in the future because I believe uh, the strength of nonprofit organization is that uh, when an NGO person goes to another country, uh, the foreigner will feel less defensive because we are NGO, we don't have any, we don't have interest conflict with them or we don't have a strong intention like the government. So um, actually NGO is a very good partner for the government to build local network. And so I hope in the future we will have closer partnership with the government. We see a lot of things like this, you know, with like citizen journalists and stuff Mm -hmm. where, you know, realistically anyone with the right skills or the right kind of access to internet can Mm -hmm. do something like journalism and, and, you know, potentially disrupt these big traditional kind of newspaper organizations. How much of what you, you are doing do you think is like could could replace mm-hmm. traditional diplomacy mm. or how how much do we really need traditional diplomacy is it still essential or is something like digital diplomacy enough uh, I think traditional diplomatic institution is still needed because all the diplomatic institution they are working for the own interests of their people and it, it needs power to ensure 
your interest in a foreign country. So I think a, a formal diplomatic institution is still needed. But like the the value of a civil organization like us, who is doing diplomatic works, is that uh, we can have better communication with the citizens in another country. And uh, also, like what I said, we have more flexibility, and also we we do the network maybe faster than a big institution because we're small and quite flexible. So um, I, I would not say our job is more important than a formal diplomatic institution. I think it should exist at the same time. Like the embassies, they do their job, and we can we can help from the side way, and also we can explore more. Um, possibility or opportunities for the government as well, and also at the same time, I think people-to-people -people diplomacy is also important because um, sometimes I I think like people-to-people -people diplomacy we can find more interesting topics to communicate with each other, and I think what we are doing is trying to build more channels for Taiwan in other countries because um, I, I believe in the future the diplomacy would be like. Multi-channel communication. Everyone can represent your country, and everyone can deliver the image or the national branding of your country.、Uh, I, I think we should have the mindset that everyone can be an ambassador. Is your kind of organization unique to Taiwan? I mean, do organizations like yours exist elsewhere, or is there something peculiar about Taiwan that means that、mm -hmm. it's it really suits? The kind of work you do in Taiwan, I think we are the only organization who focus on international promotion. But in other countries, I see a lot of organization they are doing the same job.、Uh, for example, I see、um, Korea. They have an organization named Korea Foundation. It was established by their Foreign Affairs Ministry in 1991. They has done a lot of jobs to train volunteers.、Uh, Citizen volunteers to promote their country, like to create the attractiveness of Korea.、Uh, for now, I remember they have around two hundred fifty thousand volunteers. is、wow. a is a big amount. This is this is a South Korea we're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, South Korea, <laughs> and they give guidebook to those volunteers and to teach them how to promote their countries. It's it's just it's it's amazing, but sometimes it is controlled by the government. It's something controlled by the government too.、Uh, but I think I think it's still smart of Korean government. They know,、um, they know to establish this kind of organization. Thirty years ago,、uh, it also shows us that maybe Korea can be a sample of Taiwan. Like people should have the skills to promote their countries. The government will give you the direction. So I I hope Taiwan in the future maybe the government can define the direction of international promotion or、uh, diplomacy more clear than. Uh, our organization from from civil society, we can train more people to have the digital skills to promote Taiwan as well. That kind of brings me on to I guess I guess my kind of final question, which is, what's the future for your organization, and, and what what are your what are your plans essentially? Our plan,、uh, I I I think this year we work more on public communication because、uh, in the past three years I noticed that there are only a small group of people who. Uh, maybe they have international experience, or they want to study abroad. They will pay attention to the topic, the issue we are talking about. But I believe diplomacy is something they, that everyone can do. Even you are a teacher, or you are a waiter in a restaurant. I think in all the industry, you will have the opportunity to be the diplomat of Taiwan. So. 
In the future, I want to let more Taiwanese people feel they can also be a diplomat of Taiwan, and also they can find their own value in the international efforts. Like international effort is connected with everyone. Uh, we are we are not alone. We <laughs> we are all in the international world. That was Jiao Guo from Taiwan Digital Diplomacy Association telling me why digital diplomacy has to work hand in hand with high level government contact and why anyone can be a digital ambassador for their country. And that's all we have time for this week. Next week, I speak to Sahana Shankar from Academia Sinica about Taiwan's research environment and where science reporting has gone wrong. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on the download. Turn now to the Olympics, and what better way to start than with Guo Xingchun, who picked up the first gold medal for Taiwan at this year's Games in Tokyo. Guo Xingchun is a Taiwanese four-time world champion, two-time Universiade champion, one-time Asian Games champion, and four-time Asian champion. Now she can add Olympic gold medalist to her list of achievements. On Tuesday, Guo beat out all other women competitors in her 59-kilogram weight class to claim Taiwan's first gold medal at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Guo Xingchun was born in Taiwan's Yilan County on November 26, 1993. The 27-year-old is of indigenous Amis descent. She made her Olympic debut in 2012 in London where she placed sixth overall in the women's 58-kilogram weight category. Then, at the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, she took home a bronze medal despite an injury. After a less-than-optimal performance in Rio, Guo has not lost a single major competition, taking home gold medals at the World Weightlifting Championships, the Asian Games, the Universiade, and the Asian Championships. Guo was favored to win gold at Tokyo, and she delivered with a vengeance. Guo lifted a combined 236 kilograms, an Olympic record but just short of the world record of 247 kilograms which she herself holds. However, Guo's Olympic performance put her more than 19 kilograms ahead of runner-up Polina Gureva of Turkmenistan. For Guo, Tuesday wasn't about setting records, it was about winning gold. Still, not smashing her own record was a sign for Guo that she'd have to return and defend her title the next time the Olympics roll around. Leslie Liao, RTI News. What an amazing athlete. Now, in just four days, Taiwan picked up six medals at this year's Games. That's breaking its own record for the most medals it's ever won in a single year at the Olympics. The first medal went to Yang Yongwei, an indigenous Taiwan athlete. He's the first Taiwanese athlete to win an Olympic medal in judo. Both his mother and his brother also excel in this sport. 
Now, I think he got a bunch of new fans at the medal ceremony. He looked down at the medal that he just won, and then he took a big sniff of it as though he you know, just couldn't imagine that he'd won this medal. It was very cute. Now, the next medal came in Taekwondo. Luo Jialing picked up a bronze in the sport, which she began learning in kindergarten. The 19-year-old athlete also comes from a martial arts family, and she practices with both her father and her brother. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.